Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. My name is Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 12, Stolen, Stolen Moments. Today's proverb comes from Albert Guinot. I'll read it twice. People who cannot bear to be alone are generally the worst company. People who cannot bear to be alone are generally the worst company. I found over the last several years that I myself am someone who cannot bear to be alone. This realization was a long time in coming. But it was in doing this show over the last several months that I realized just how many writers of proverbs, writers of aphorisms and maxims, insisted on the importance of loneliness and solitude for the intellect. If you purchase a book of quotations, Bartlett's, any others, you'll find that, especially in the modern age, well, maybe even just from the Renaissance on, the sheer volume of quotations which speak to the importance of time spent alone is rather staggering. After love, 
after life between the sexes. Solitude might be one of the most highly praised things by famous intellectuals or highly considered. So I realized that I cannot bear to be alone. I recently deleted my Facebook account after 11 years spent on Facebook. And when you delete your Facebook account, you are shown just how many posts you have made over the course of your tenure on Facebook. My rate of posting was about a thousand status updates a year. An average of three a day over the course of a decade. That was three weeks ago, deleted my Facebook account, and then just a few nights ago, I deleted my Instagram account, which I've only had for a year. But I found in those weeks in between that Instagram simply took the place of Facebook. I couldn't bear to be alone, and so I'd become bad company. And I often found myself confessing the sin of being rude. Over the last year, I often, at confession, described the ways in which I had been rude to people. Very rarely did I confess the sin of being rude to people online. I was often rude to people, am often rude to people in person. And the older I get, the more problematic this seems. Now, when I say I cannot bear to be alone, what I mean is that Facebook, social media, had come to fill all the little moments, all the little stolen moments of a day that I used to spend in contemplation, in solitude, so to speak. If you consider the course of a day, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, there are just these countless little moments where you're waiting for some reason. Maybe the life of a subsistence farmer was not like this, but modern life is full of waiting. Like when you pump your gas, that's two minutes right there. The waiting that you do during a commercial break, the waiting that you do when you order your food at a restaurant, the waiting that you do in awkward silences, in conversations, the waiting you do when you're going to meet someone to do anything. Stoplights, there's a 10 second wait, 30 second wait. Like a day is just full of all these little periods of waiting, all these little stolen moments that you have to yourself if you choose to have them to yourself. But I found more and more over the years that I 
could not bear to be alone. And in these little moments, pumping gas, waiting at a stoplight, waiting in a doctor's office, in line at a grocery store, I could not bear being alone. And so I would immediately seek out the thoughts and faces of friends or acquaintances or just diversion, distraction from being alone. Ten years ago, social media was friends. Social media is not really friends anymore, though. Friends play such a small part in social media. I often found myself scrolling through 50 posts on Facebook, wondering where my friends were. It was advertisements, it was acquaintances, it was all the little magazines and breweries and record labels that I followed. And my friends actually played a pretty small role in it. Now, when I say my friends played a small role on social media, I don't mean that the friends themselves were little to me. And giving up Facebook does mean giving up regular contact with people that otherwise I might go years without seeing, or I will go years without seeing. And that's real loss. And there are people who I met on Facebook who I could really only know through Facebook. And the loss of Facebook in that sense is a real loss. And there's a number of people that I don't hear from on a regular basis anymore because I've chosen to remove myself from Facebook. So the loss of Facebook is a real loss. At the same time, it gives me back something, giving up Facebook. And one of the things that it's given me back is all these little in-between moments in the day where I now have to be by myself. I have to learn to keep company with myself again. And over the last two or three years, I spent increasingly little time alone. And so I'm getting that back. I want to go back to Albert Guinan's quote. People who cannot bear to be alone are generally the worst company. Why? Now, there might be the quote comes from over a hundred years ago. There might be something we understand intuitively about the quote without investigation. That people who cannot bear to be alone are desperate. And there's something about a desperate man that makes him hard to be around. But I don't think that the quote just means hard to be around the way that desperate men are. I think that people who cannot bear to be alone are the worst company because they are boring. I myself found myself becoming boring or more easily bored. I'm 38. And if you are 
in your 30s, in your 40s, maybe you've recognized this in yourself as well if you're a heavy social media user. I find it hard to sit through a film anymore. Movies are a tough sell for me. They're so long. I prefer short television programs. I used to love movies. I used to watch movies all the time. Now the prospect of watching a movie seems daunting to me because my attention span is just that short. I am that easily bored. Even if I get to select the movie, the idea of doing something for two hours seems harrowing. Ugh, two hours. So long. I still watch movies, but it's mostly TV shows. 40 minutes, I can do that. I don't know how often I find myself saying that. 40 minutes, I can do that. I don't believe that boredom is a well-understood human emotion. Boredom is so widely understood to be a bad thing and an enemy. We've got to be skeptical. Maybe it's good. Be willing to admit it for just a moment. Maybe boredom is good. We hate it so much, and our affections are so twisted that maybe boredom is good. I realized in my youth, when I was 15 or 16, maybe everybody does, when I complained to my parents that I was bored, I realized that there was something profoundly petty about this. And I couldn't blame my parents for not taking me seriously. I'm bored. Well, deal with it. That's the right thing to say to anybody who complains they're bored. Deal with it. I didn't realize how bad it was to complain about being bored. Until my own children started complaining that they were bored at maybe five or six. When my children began complaining that they were bored, I said to them, first of all, Orthodox girls do not complain that they are bored. But I also realized that if I solved the problem of their boredom, I would only be making the problem worse down the road. Because boredom is a thing that must be dealt with directly. If you try to skirt the problem of boredom, your soul will only become messier. Neglecting to deal with the problem of boredom is like refusing to clean your house. The fact that you're not dealing with it will only make it worse. I think that boredom is good. When people complain about boredom, they're complaining about a good thing or a natural thing. Maybe I would say that goodness is, or that boredom is not simply good, but that it's natural. I think that boredom is what makes contemplation possible. I don't think that contemplation exists without boredom as a kind of prior condition. And the reason why people complain about being bored is because their imaginations are weak and contemplation is difficult. So let me give you an illustration of what I mean. One of the best ways of understanding the difference between boredom and contemplation, or the relationship between boredom and contemplation, is to consider two situations or two scenarios in which people find themselves bored. Think about old movies for a minute. 
films from the 1940s or 50s. Or think about foreign films. I know that's a pretty broad category there. When I say foreign films, I mean the kind of stuffy, boring, weirdo dramas that the Criterion Collection's always releasing. And compare those in your mind with the modern action film. Now, here's an interesting fact. The average action film cuts every three to five seconds, by which I mean the length of a shot in an action film is around three to five seconds long. You never have to look at anything for longer than five seconds in the average comic book, James Bond sort of film. The average film cuts every 15 seconds. The average film from the 1940s or 50s cuts every 40 to 50 seconds on average, maybe 30 to 40 seconds. So films from the 40s contain around 400 cuts. The average film today contains around 1,300 cuts. The average action film contains 3,000 cuts. Now what this means is that older films and foreign films, when I say foreign films, I'm thinking of the films of Tarkovsky, uh, Ozu, Kieslowski. Um, the average foreign film asks the audience to contemplate an image or an image idea for 10 times as long as the average action film. And I think most Americans, most Americans who enjoy action films would say they don't like older films and they don't like foreign films because they're boring. Now the accusation that foreign films are boring and that old films are boring is true. Part of what makes foreign films and older films interesting is that they ask the audience to be bored on occasion. So when you're shown a new image, when there's a cut in a film, there's this high level of interest in the immediate moment, in the one or two seconds after the new image is projected onto the screen. There's this sudden burst of interest on the part of the viewer as your mind deciphers what it is that you're being shown. And the mind understands almost instantaneously what it sees. But there's a new burst of interest every time the shot cuts. Now what happens next is intriguing. Because as soon as your mind discerns the image, what it is, your interest begins to decline. So imagine if you've ever seen a foreign film, if you've ever seen a boring foreign film. You know that foreign films are likely to do something like show you an image of a living room for 30 seconds. A living room is shown, an empty living room, no one's in it, nobody's talking, nothing interesting, no action, no movement, and it's just a living room. And a foreign film director might ask you to just look at this for 20 or 30 seconds. Now the average American gets very frustrated with this quite quickly. If the living room is only shown for two seconds, if it's an establishing shot, you see the living room two seconds. The only thing the audience takes away from two seconds of a living room is, this is a living room. That's it. That's the only thing that you know. 
you don't have time enough to discern the individual objects in the room. Ashtray on the table, photographs framed, the rug. You don't have time to discern the meaning. It's only a living room. And there's nothing particularly interesting about a living room. Now, if you ask an audience to stare at an empty living room for 20 seconds, what happens is for two seconds, there's a burst of interest as your mind discerns this new image. But that sameness of the image quickly induces boredom. Boredom is induced by sameness. So your interest is high for the first two seconds and then quickly plummets and bottoms out probably around 10 seconds. And at 10 seconds, if it's just living room, you begin saying, I get it, it's a living room. What else is there to say? Go on, show me something else. But what happens if you hold on that living room for 20 seconds is that at some point after 10 seconds, what the audience understands is this is not just a living room. This is a particular living room. There's something here I'm supposed to notice. If you show something for, uh, to somebody for long enough, they have this realization. There's something I'm supposed to notice here. There's some meaning here. This is not just appearance. There is value somewhere. I'm supposed to discern something. And as soon as someone realizes that this is not just any living room, but a certain living room, interest begins rising again. And that's what contemplation is. Contemplation is born out of the boredom of sameness. If that sameness is prolonged, a healthy mind begins to seek out difference. But in order for contemplation to take place, you've got to be willing to let the audience get bored. You've got to let sameness linger, boredom be induced, and then the healthy mind begins to solve itself out of the crisis of boredom by discerning difference. And that's contemplation. The discernment of difference where sameness only appears. Now, this has a lot to do with social media, really, because social media is like an action film. There's always something interesting to see. Social media is a barrage of images, most of which are only lingered over for two seconds, three seconds, if that. You can scroll through a hundred images on Instagram in two or three minutes, never lingering on any one of them for more than five seconds, and also never returning to any of those images ever again. Instagram is full of things you will only see once. That, which is another way of saying it's full of things that you won't look at twice, that don't need to be seen twice, that aren't worth looking at twice, rather. Like an action film. An action film doesn't repay a second viewing, unless it's diehard. An action film doesn't repay a second viewing. There's nothing to discern. The fact that the shots are so short indicates that there's nothing to discern here. We don't need to linger on any image. And if you don't need to linger on any image, you don't need to linger on the story itself. But social media, especially by way of access through phones, is like this action movie that immediately alleviates boredom. The split second that 
you suffer from it. At a traffic light, boredom is induced after two seconds. I take out my phone and I begin alleviating my boredom. The problem is not really that I was spending three hours a day on social media. It's that those three hours were diffusely spread out over the course of the whole day. They weren't sequestered off into a tiny corner of the day from 8 to 11 at night. They had taken over my day. And all those little stolen moments in between big events, all of my waiting was gone. I never had to wait for anything anymore. Waiting was always... destroyed the second it began. I'm not going to wait here. I'm going to do something profitable. I'm going to entertain myself. Which led to irritability and intellectual weakness. This was more a problem in my interactions with other people. So to return to Albert Guinan's quote, people who cannot bear to be alone are generally the worst company. There's a profound difference between going out to dinner with someone at a restaurant and telling somebody online what you're making for dinner. If you go out with someone for dinner, it takes hours of your time. It costs a lot of money. It's memorable for that reason. And when you're having dinner with people, when you're with people, I don't mean this to come off more cynically than it should, but when you're with people, you're stuck with people. I think this is the reason why contemporary human beings love to stay in for the evening, is that when you go out with people, you're stuck with them. We don't like being stuck with people. When people are boring, we want to gloss over them as quickly as possible because we've become habituated to this. Now, in the old days, if you go out with somebody to a restaurant, if they're boring company, you have incentive to figure out how to make them interesting. That's what the mind does when it's bored. That's what a healthy mind does when it's bored. A healthy mind, when bored, tries to make the best of a bad situation. That's always what a healthy mind does. But social media, especially by, by way of cell phones, has removed our ability to make the best of a bad situation. Maybe making the best of a bad situation is an art. I mean, if you go out to dinner with somebody and they're very boring, if you've got to be with them for two hours, you've got to figure out how to make that person interesting to you. You've got to figure out a way to sympathize with them because sympathy will make them more intriguing. You've got to ask better questions of them. If their conversation is boring, ask better questions. Or you have to pay attention to the particulars of their expression. You've got to interpret their eyes, their mouth when they speak. Or you've got to tell stories that are interesting enough to sustain their interest. A boring night out at a restaurant with somebody that you don't know that well could thus stretch and refine and improve the health of your imagination because it was a period of prolonged sameness, same company, same table, same food, and it couldn't be evaded. 
And this taught people, or this naturally teaches people, in as much as you do it, how to find other people sympathetic, how to find other people lovely. If somebody's not immediately lovely and you're stuck with them, you got to figure out how to make them lovely. you got to figure out why they're lovely, because it's hidden. But in the era of social media, if somebody's not immediately lovely, you don't have to love them. You can go on to someone who's easier to love. So all these stolen moments over the course of the day, pumping gas at a stoplight, all these moments of solitude, being alone, keeping your own company, wherein the momentary boredom of the situation gave way to contemplation, the way that your mind wanders sometimes to important things, often to important things, when you're undistracted, when you're by yourself, all that was gone. Which was making me worse company, not to people online, but to the people that I live with and work with. Now to return to the place that I began, since the dawn of the modern era, the era of the city, the era of close, tight-knit, massive society, since the era of community, Christian community, intellectuals have recognized the danger of not ever being alone, solitude, loneliness. This problem was recognized long before social media, which makes the constant communion of social media, not just dangerous, but kind of terrifying. And so I stepped away from it, largely. I quit spending time on Facebook, Instagram, and I've made a conscious effort to get back all my stolen, stolen moments all my stolen moments that were stolen away by the need to be instantly entertained, amused. So, there has been real loss here. There are a number of people who I used to speak with on a regular basis online. And I miss those people. But I'm trying to recommit myself intellectually to the people that I live with, that I see all the time. And it's good.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.